You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, part two of our look at breast cancer through the eyes of two women who battled that cancer. Last week, I spoke with Lisa Johnson and Ananda Lewis, both former popular hosts of BET's Teen Summit. They have long been admired TV personalities, and now they are role models for the fight against cancer. I asked them to appear together to talk about their personal journey and to share with other women ways to be proactive in observing their bodies and being vigilant about early detection. Last week, among other things, we talked about the shock of their diagnosis and what they did to push through that shock and get to living through it. Part of that for anyone dealing with cancer is trying to find some normalcy. I asked Ananda about trying to find normal during an abnormal time. That was one of the main things that, like I said before, I was protecting. Uh, I think your normalcy changed, for me, the normalcy really changed when everybody else found out. And they changed. And they changed, right. What they talked to you about, what, 
what the concern, the energy they bring to you, the stress level that that really mm-hmm. can cause for you if, if they're not careful. And who knows how to be careful with that? I mean, I understood that it's scary information for other people. It wasn't scary information for me because I just look at the bottom lines of things. Like, I'm real clear that I'm going to die one day, right? That's not something that I can change. There's nothing I can do about that. What I can do in regards to that is make sure I'm doing the things I can do to make this body last as long as it can. But I'm in a finite machine. I'm an infinite spirit, but I'm in a finite machine. And so that was my fear wasn't based around death. Like I don't have a fear of that. So I think for me, it was easier to be like, oh, okay, well, what this means is I need to change my lifestyle and do these things and do these things. And, but eventually I'm gonna die anyway. So I'm only going so far with the, you know, what I'm willing to do. Cause there's no avoiding this final thing that we're all going to face. So I guess because I didn't get caught up in that, it was hard for me to understand that other people were getting caught up in that. It was like, that was the first thing everybody thought, oh, the doctor said you're going to be dead in three years. And so you, you're going to die. Listen, I'm real clear on what my mind's uh, uh, ability is. I'm real clear on what my God can do. I'm real clear on what my own power is given to me by the authority. And so I don't care what anybody says. I never have about anything. And that's not going to change when it comes to my health. I don't care if the doctor looked at one scan of me and said, oh, if things stay like this and you don't do anything, then this is going to happen. All you're telling me is your opinion about a process that's taking place. And I know that if I change one thing about what's happening with that process, the process changes. I don't know how much. I don't know what effect. I know it changes though. I know it changes. And so I stuck to that thinking. I held on to that thinking and really never got into the, the panic of it. Um, and so my normalcy was really something that was vital to me because it was real for me and I knew it might not be real for other people. So I just protected myself with, with secrecy, actually, um, because you're right. Normalcy uh, can be really impacted by other people, especially if they're constantly coming at you. By the time I told everybody, um, I was in a much better place in terms of I already had my process down. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was going to do next. I, I, ha- I was unshakable at that point. No, nothing anybody did was going to change anything for me. So I felt safe and comfortable for myself to now let people in. And I felt like it was really important to um, kind of warn other women. And it was time. I didn't want to wait another year. I felt, I felt like Breast Cancer Awareness Month made the most sense. It wasn't as kind of random, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it was the right time. So I just kind of had to prepare for that. And so far, so good. People have been lovely and beautiful as they are. And, um, you know, boundaries are important. So I think people respect those when you have them too. What about you, Lisa? What about normalcy for you? So for me, normalcy, I mean, my everyday existence as a mom, I feel like that didn't change a whole lot. Um, I did learn to allow people to help me because, um, you know, I'm so used to always being the one giving, giving, giving. And it was, it felt really weird for me to Mm. accept care like that. Um, That was hard. Like, you know, everything that everybody did for me, just, just being okay with being taken care of was huge for me. Um, But the, in terms of nothing about the process was normal for me. And so every day, I mean, when you're, when you're faced with, um, you know, I mean, for me, a lot of times after my surgery, I I felt like there was an elephant sitting on me, you know, I mean, there was, I always felt like something. Um, I knew I was not my normal self, but the biggest thing was getting back to normalcy, feeling like my old self 
being and flowing like my old self, like that's something that I just wanted that so bad. Being able to exercise again, being able to, um, um, I, don't, I, I never, I don't know if I ever showed this, but um, I had reconstructive surgery and what they used was my inner thigh muscles and to, in, to replace um, the, the tissues instead of my um, back muscles, which they use sometimes because I play tennis and my doctor was like, no, um, you know, you don't want to bother that because then you won't really be able to hit. Well, that in of itself was another step to healing. And that's why I ended up getting blood clots and my legs swelled and mm. being able to bend my knees, being able to walk. Like I had, I felt like I was going through double what a person who didn't have that surgery actually had. So I just, that's what really got to me, not being able to run because I, I do run and not being able to walk right, not being able to sit or bend or fold across my legs or, and, um, feel like myself. You know, when you walk and you look in the mirror and you see this image of, you know, your what what was your breasts and now you you look unlike anything you've ever seen before. That could definitely do something to your head, you know? And um that was that was kind of that was kind of strange. Um and I just wanted to I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I, it, you know, it, I guess in some ways it did kind of affect my body image, you know, at a certain point. Um, I was conscious about it, conscious of it, but um, I just wanted to, to look normal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I never, I would, I knew I'd never look like myself again, like my prior self, but that was um, be- because of all the complications that I had in between, you know, I mean, there was, uh, you know, you have one side and the other side's removed and then the other side's healing and then you have an expander and then you have, it was just, it, it was, it was, that was hard to, um, to feel normal again. I, f- I feel like I felt normal, like maybe for the last year <laughs> and, um, you know, even still, it's not the same normal, but it's the normal that I embrace because it's all of those, all those experiences had have changed me to be how I think about things, how I see the world every day, how I appreciate every single day, like I never did before. Um, and so I'm okay with it because this is me, my scars, all my scars, this is me. Take it or leave it. I love it. And that shows what I've, I've come through. I definitely agree with Lisa. Like every single day is valuable is, I I mean, I can definitely see how much I took for granted in terms of time and health. And um, also for me, I really have had a huge lesson in how much of this I can control. Like I took for granted the donuts I was stuffing in my mouth and the pizza days I'd have with my son and the little bit of, you know, dairy and meat and steaks I'd have. Like all the research I've done, the information that I've, you know, been exposed to um, and what I've seen work in the integrative and natural world on my body has blown my mind. Like what is possible now is pretty amazing. I also understand the um, benefit of early detection. Either way I chose to handle this, early detection would have made it a lot easier. And so, you know, live and learn. But that's what we're here to do. We're here to have the experience of life, you know, and that's 
it's going to be all kinds of things. So I think I'm also uh, a lot more aware of and appreciative of, of that and the fullness that that needs to be. I was really limiting myself before in a lot of ways that I didn't look at as limiting and they definitely were. So I feel like I'm definitely living fuller and, and bigger and uh, more out loud. Are you cancer free? Uh, not yet. I am waiting on a PET scan in about another three weeks. So I, I don't know how many PET scans you've done, but I'm up to four now. <laughs> and yeah, it's crazy. So the third one that I did, which was supposed to be kind of the more definitive, you know, I did 16 weeks of treatment and what the PET scan, the third one was supposed to do was tell me you know, where I was with everything and what the metabolic activity of the cancer cells left in my body were. Yeah. I went one day, the machine was broken because they had a power outage. So they rescheduled me for the next day. I was like, okay, cool. Don't use a broken machine. We can't do it. I went back the next day. They did the whole, you know, light me up with radiated sugar and did the whole full body scan radiation. And, you know, radiation is what I've been avoiding this whole time. So now I have triple. Yeah. And I was waiting like 45 minutes for them to bring me results. And she walked in and said, well, I have good news and I have bad news. And my mind, I'm like, lady, don't play with me. <laughs> I am not in the mood playing with you today. And she said, well, I don't know if it was because of our power outage yesterday, but the machine didn't capture any images. Oh, no. After all that. So, girl, that for me was, you know, I, I've been upbeat. I've been, you know, just praying and meditating and being happy. I actually have been very joyous, oddly, through the whole thing. I haven't felt, you know, down at that moment. When she said that to me, I literally almost burst into tears. I had to walk outside. And I hadn't really cried much through the whole thing. Um, I've gotten my car and I really had to work with myself. I really had to cry. I was so upset. You know, they were angry tears. I wasn't like, oh, poor me. I was like, this is not okay. I'm pissed off. And, um, you know, I finally had to just pull it back together. I kept saying, I'm at the end of this. Like, why now? And then I had to rehear it and go, oh, you're at the end of this. And nothing has really gone wrong. Like, reframe that, you know? And for me, the reframing of things is really a lot easier these days. It's like, listen, you ain't dead, so it's okay. You know, it's like, the worst case is not upon you. You're going to be okay. You're going to sit it out six weeks and you're going to come back and do this again. And I, you know, I told her, no, don't reschedule me for Monday. I'm not doing two PET scans in a row in two days. So I talked to my doctor there and he was like, yeah, you're right. We'll wait six weeks. Not the end of the world. We have other test results. Now the other test results are the, the CA 19, 125s, all the cancer marker tests they do. And those have gone from moderately high to almost non-existent. So I'm hoping the PET scan matches, you know, but we'll see. But I'm in a good place. I feel like for me, this is a this is you know not a game in terms of playing with my life, but it is a a game in terms of I have some ability to go like this, right? So I feel like if the scan doesn't say exactly what I hope it says, I can do a little more of this, or I can do a little mm. more of that, and I can keep altering and playing. There's some new things coming on online in terms of uh, treatments that can you know help with the tumor, and I'm just going to keep at that until I can't keep at that anymore. And at that point, I'll decide on a more major surgery or a you know more major whatever. But I I'm really comfortable with tiptoeing, and I'm really happy with tiptoeing. So. Mm -hmm. Before I get to the BET years, I want to ask one other thing. And this is really for others. Um, and you both have talked about early detection uh, and the idea. And we should note that disproportionately uh, women of color and black women in particular are hit with breast cancer uh, much harder than any other ethnic group or race. Um, I have some theories about that. <laughs> well, and, and interestingly enough, you know, beyond a number of theories, things that have been proven are just our lifestyles to a great degree, even cosmetically. 
the things yes. that we use, hair relaxers, acrylic nails, yep. which, you know, I don't think anybody would have necessarily thought about skin light. Now, all the things that are in our communities have a connection already that is yep. shown. So if you could just, just give a brief kind of thought of what you'd like to see Black women do to, to hope, hopefully bring those numbers down. For me, I just think medical racism is very real. And I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of studies done about that, too. And the fact that we're not heard when when we say something is wrong, um, we're not taken seriously a lot of times. And so I I would say, you know, besides all the other things, yes, getting your mammograms and, um, you know, being conscious about your health, what you eat, what you put in your body. And, and doing more research on the things that you actually use, not just saying, okay, well, I've been doing this for years or, I, you know, my mom did this for years. No, do your research. And Ananda is, you know, famous for that part. And I give her much credit because I don't know nearly as much as you do in terms of, you know, about the holistic aspect. I try to, you know, do my best, um, but your world's beyond me. Um, but I would also say to just make sure you're heard because, um, you know, even after I was diagnosed and, you know, going through, like I literally could have died when my legs swelled and, mm-hmm. you know, I went to the emergency room and the only reason why I was really seen was because my girlfriend was an OBGYN at that hospital. She met me in the emergency room and even after her colleague looked at me, he said, no, she doesn't need uh, an ultrasound. And I'm like, no, this is not normal. And it was, you know, I had to make him, she had to say, give, give her an ultrasound. And, you know, I could have easily gotten a pulmonary embolism because I didn't have one blood clot. I had several blood clots and wow. they had already traveled above my knee. So be, wow. yes, be vigilant. And even after my major surgery, another nurse who came in, who was my caretaker, who I um, was like, get out of my room. I don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> she, I couldn't breathe. I literally could not breathe. And um, she wasn't listening. She said, oh, you're fine. You're fine. And I, that, at that point, my then husband was standing there and was like, you know, are you okay? I told him, I don't want to see her again. And my doctor, who I love, my, um, my plastic surgeon, he came in and he adjusted me. You know, I had I'd been under for almost 16 hours. And so, you know, fluid had settled and I literally could not breathe. But imagine coming out of that and then knowing that this person who's your caretaker has no empathy for you whatsoever. I, I, that just caused me to just break down. It's like, oh my gosh, no way. So make sure you're heard. Insist that you're heard, even when everybody else around you is saying, no, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. You know, make them do it. Make them do whatever test they need to do. So that, that's my main advice. Ananda, what about I'd, you? I'd agree with that. I'd say you are your own best advocate and nobody else is going to advocate for you like you will. And, you know, I remember sitting in the oncologist's office, the, the general, you know, the conventional oncologist. And he was like, here, this, 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 that, we're going to do this chemo. We have to do it for this long. We have to do it. And I was like, well, what, what, how did we get here? What can I do differently? How should I be eating? He was like, oh, food has nothing to do with this. And I think it was that point that I kind of shut my mind. I was like, I'm talking to you. I know what I know. So 
I would say, trust yourself after you've educated yourself. I did a lot of educating myself when my mom was going through it about 13 or 14 years ago because I wanted to give her options. You know, I felt like she uh, had a lot of things she, she could have done and I wanted her to know what they were. And there's even more you can do now. There's even more information out there. As much as a detriment as I think the internet can be, it's also a huge benefit. And it's one we really need to take advantage of. Everything you want to know about can be found uh, out about somewhere online. And yes, you have to look at those sources and, and figure them out, but they're there for you. And, and just start digging. You'll know what feels right to you. You know your body better than anybody else. Um, and just understand that there's consequences either way. You know, you can listen wholeheartedly to what they tell you to do and do that. And you got to live with the outcome. You can do your own thing. You got to live with the outcome either way. It's on you. And so make sure you feel good about the choices you're making. I agree with this systemic, the, uh, the racism in terms of healthcare, but also the classism in terms of healthcare I've witnessed mm -hmm. firsthand because I would not have been able to get a lot of the things. I would say almost any of the things I've been able to have access to and do in terms of protocols and treatments, even from the very beginning, not just in Arizona, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have been able to do any of it if it weren't for the money. And so uh, there has to be a way for us to even the playing field financially as well, because when you have green, it doesn't matter whatever color you are. The green will go through all the, it is the only color that matters in some of these circles. And so we need to support women who want to, especially for me, women who want to do things a different way because insurance is not going to help you with any of the stuff that I've done. None of it was covered. And I had to, you know, figure it out and, and get it covered in order to do it. And it has been a real trip. So one of the things that I'm going to do with the footage I have, I'm working on now, um, probably by next month, I'll have an app out because I wanted to create a platform for myself where YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, they couldn't take down my stuff. A lot of it might be considered controversial, whatever. You aren't going to have authority over what I get to share. So I created my own platform that I can share a lot of this really in-depth, um, intimate content, uh, personally kind of one-on-one with people through a subscription. And part of those proceeds will go toward paying for the things that at least the 20 women I'm in touch with right now, the things they can't afford that they really need. Every night I'm in an infrared sauna, a portable one that I have in my house. That sucker was almost $2,000. That is rent or food in most people's lives. They can't afford it, but it's vital to them having the level of health, the level of detox, the level of self-care they need in going through this journey, no matter which way they decide to go through it. I would think all the doctors would agree that detox is important. And um, so I have a list of things I would like to be able to gift to these women that, you know, I need money to be able to do. So I'm trying to find a way to creatively share the information. Most of it will be free, but some of it will be subscription so that I can use those, those funds to uh, help all. There's so many women who look like us dealing with this who just don't have the support and resources. And you beat me too. And I was going to talk about just that and that we have to start to be vigilant politically to yeah. move because what we're seeing with this pandemic is we're being wiped out in the pandemic. And we, I, I keep telling people, I didn't need a pandemic to show me that black folk didn't get cared for in the same way. When we return BET's golden era, the good and the bad, plus what the network meant to black folks back in the day. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. 
That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. So let me move us to to BET since we all share that and and the community to a great degree. And we know this better than most, you know, shares a love for BET. Um, But I also know, and I say this all the time, (laughs) BET was not perfect. And at times it was pitiful. (laughs) But it was magical as well for those of us who work there. And what we find later on is it was magic to the community too, to a great degree. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, 
how you guys kind of look back at, at your time and the network and, 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 you know, what you think about it. Well, for me, um, coming straight out of college, I think. Straight, I mean, you really, it wasn't like straight out. You left the classroom, took your little diploma and walked in that door <laughs> damn near. Yes, literally. I mean, I think two weeks, I got a backup plan and, and I worked at, as an executive assistant to a vice president at a mortgage company first weekend. She did not believe she was like, why do you want to work here? You know, but I had my little reel, sent it out. But um, two weeks later, I was at BT. Um, and, uh, it, it was, it was like no experience I've ever had since. And I've gone and worked at a lot of other networks. Um, but it was magical. You're right. It was. And it, I called it, um, like 13th grade, even though we were all out of college, it felt like we were still in college because we were part of such a, a wonderful community. Everybody there was just, they were so hungry and they were young and, you know, we'd be yelling over our cubicles and laughing and having parties in the aisle. And um, it was like nothing else, you know, and everybody was kind of learning on their feet, learning as they went along. I know I was, um, you know, as much experience as I tried to get during internships and, you know, in, in college, there was nothing like the real thing. Um, but it, you're right. It had its its faults. Uh, we were all work like slaves, but we all wanted to be. We didn't mind it. I know I didn't. You know, sleeping on the couches overnight, and um, you know, in an edit session, and then being there all night long, and then showing up at eight o'clock to start doing what I needed to do before the show, and being live at twelve. I loved every second of it. You know, it was just a wonderful experience, and it was nothing like being around your own people watching everybody just be a boss at everything they were doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they really gave us so much power too. If you think about, you know, we're all these young, young kids and, you know, talking to record executives and, and, you know, talking to these huge celebrities and we had so much at our hands. I didn't realize it at the time, you know, I, I always felt like, mm, you know, well, this is just my job. I love doing it, but it, it was a big deal. And um, it, it's something that I don't think I'll ever experience again. But I, I'm so grateful to have the experience. I, I learned so much. I still yeah. firmly believe that there is a place for it because there's nothing like it. I do it. too. So I do too. At the right time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The impact we had is, is still being felt. So that's beautiful. Let me ask you both this as we close. Um, and I will say, you know, a little biased, but I do think those years were the golden years of BET. I don't think BET ever got to that point again. Yeah. Um, more money, bigger budgets, you know, and, and it's not to knock it, but I don't think it ever had the influence and sway and impact culturally yeah. um, that it had then. Uh, you know, and the heart and the spirit of all that. Yeah. yeah. And part of that is the industry change and, 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 and white media started to find black artists and all of those kinds of things. But there was something special and magical, if I can set the bias aside even. Um, <laughs> and it was fun for me to watch because I was older than you guys. And so, yeah. you know, the news department was a, a typically a little older. So I'd watch <laughs> y'all being crazy. And I just felt like, you know, the big brother, like, what are these yeah. kids doing here? These crazy, crazy kids. kids. <laughs> um, 
what, what's your one, what's your one thought? What's your favorite moment? If I can do that, I know sometimes that's like a favorite child, but when you think about those years, Lisa, what, what comes to mind immediately for you? What's that one thing that sticks out? Um, oh gosh, there were so many. Um, Goodness gracious. You know, I always think about it. And I said, I said this for the 40th. I always think about that moment for the, on the first show that always sticks out because I lived for that moment. I always wanted to, since 10th grade, host my own talk show for teens. And wow, having, to, yeah, I'm like, this is crazy. So having to, having that opportunity right away. I mean, it was a huge blessing, but the first show was like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it really, the the teleprompter went out, you know, Carol Simpson was there. And in between the break, I was like, oh my gosh, she saw the look on my face. She thought she was like, don't cry. Just don't, don't cry. You're going to, you're going to get through this because I was a wreck. it was it was a disaster. I think Tony Bergusters, hey Tony, he got fired after the show. He got fired after the show and then got rehired because everybody was like, no, he worked hard. But it was it, there were so many um, monumental moments. I think one thing that just stuck out. I did a, a special show on Teens Behind Bar, something I always wanted to do, and we went down to I think it's Lorton, Virginia, mm-hmm. and talked to those young men who had just been caught up in the cycle, you know, and. Um, talked about their life. One of them contacted me years later, which that's crazy. I mean, he, he got in t- contact with me and just told me how after that show, he, he got it together. And, you know, he's a, um, a, a member of society who's doing things on the up and up. And, you know, he, he, he thanked me for taking that time out, but I've gotten a lot of those calls and just, about how much the show just really impacted um, the lives of uh, so many young people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just appreciative and thankful and grateful to be a part of that. What about you? I would say, you know, when I try to think of one moment, it's almost like a reel of 500 moments. It just flashed right. through my head. It's like, wow, can I pick one? I remember, I mean, we had big stuff, you know, again, like the Hillary Clinton thing. That was a big deal for everybody. We got pressed over that. We get image awards over that. But I don't remember that stuff as much as I remember like the little moments where I felt like it was um, the teens against the adults winning kind of thing or the older generation. We had a police chief on from Georgia. And I think it was one of the first times we had almost like a satellite feed, somebody, a guest coming in on satellite, which, you know, now we do the Zooms and it's very normal. But then it was a big deal for me. I was like, she's going to be on, wait, let me get this straight. She's going to be on a TV screen <laughs> and I'm talking to her. So we were talking and they, there was some issue about um, curfews for teens in Atlanta and the teens were really against it. They were like, how are you going to tell us to be in the house? So I, I kind of caught her in a, in a corner and I remember, you know, I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but I get this heat that kind of builds up in those moments of like, it, uh, whatever's happening can be anticipation or excitement, but I get, I get hot, like in my torso. And she said something and I was like, oh, I'm about to, I'm about to get her. And she, she said, well, we're going to let these teens be out with the adults that, you know, uh, or something, something. And I said, so let me get this straight. You're going to let teens, because you're concerned about what they, they may do, be out past curfew with adults that have proven to be the ones mainly committing the crimes and doing something, something. I said, help me make that make sense. And the audience went, yeah, <laughs> like this uproar. We were like, yeah, that doesn't make any. 
I don't know why that sticks out, but it was like a gotcha moment to authority, you know, and that was what my life was fulfilled by at that time. So I remember that being one of those moments where me, but the, with the audience, that connection with the audience, because again, we had the audience at home worldwide and, you know, especially here, but I also know people who are watching us in other countries, but that audience in the studio, the energy from them, there was nothing like it. The audience, I mean, our, our panel of posse members too, but that audience that day, they were on it. And it was almost like they were about to rush the stage. It, it was crazy. And I remember so many moments with that connection. And I think for me, you know, I think Dejure and I were the first co-host situation and we would have these moments backstage where he was coming out of one door and I was coming out of the other. And we would look at each other and it was that right before we walk out, like we got this, all right, here we go. Bam, moment, you know, we're lights on, let's go. Going into live TV. I remember those moments as being the most kind of magical. You just um, made me remember something else. For me, outside of the studio was a huge thing for me because, you know, I've always mentored teens my whole life. And um, I was just a little bit older than the kids that were on the show. But this was a full circle moment, actually a 40th, a 40th anniversary um, celebration that we were all at recently. Um, a woman came up to me and she gave me this big hug and she introduced herself and she said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, the person who you've been talking to in these emails and about the shoot. So she grabbed my hands and she said, she said, I just wanted to tell you this story. She said, there was this young girl who um, years ago, she tried to get an internship at BET and in the um, HR department. And she could not, they told her no, because she was not in school. The reason why she had dropped out was because she'd gotten pregnant. And, you know, part of doing the internship was you had to get credit. So she said, they told me to call you. So she said, um, or they told her, told her to call you. And so she said, you talked to the girl. You told her, don't ever let somebody tell you no. Call them back. Explain your situation. And I'm sure they'll work something out. And she said, Lisa, that person was me. And she's now the head of talent relations at BET. And she said, now, she said, I mentor girls and I carry that same message all the time when I mentor girls. Don't ever let somebody tell you, you know, she's been there for 30 years. Wow. Tears to my eyes. Because, yeah. you know, there were so many of those little moments where you could have just said no. I mean, there was, we, we had the ability to reach so many people um, out there in the world that we don't even know. but just direct impact with all those yeah. young people was to me like that gave me the most fulfillment. And that was like a huge, just full circle moment for me. That oh, I was that's beautiful. I yeah. love that. Well, I am so glad that I had the opportunity to share those chapters with the two of you. Uh, and I appreciate that we all have uh, stayed as Lisa said, as family. Frankly, and you know, sometimes in our industry, we always, oh, this is you know, and kissy kissy, and all of that. And but it isn't always true. It's kind of what you say to be nice. But I can say, um, you know, the vast majority of us at BET have remained that way. Uh, yeah. Well, I am blessed, uh, Lisa. I'm so happy that you are now cancer free. We'll continue to pray that you stay that way, and not, we are going to look for that uh, for you in just uh, a few weeks, and we say that prayer. So thank you both. I love you both, and thank you so love much. Thank you. 
Love you too, Ed. Love you, Lisa. Thank you, guys. This was fun. Next week, I talk with artist Kadir Nelson about the importance of art and how much his recent works have become social markers of the turbulent times we're living. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.